1: Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market Site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Sieberg, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin for the masses, while the SEC cracks down on ETFs, there is something else happening in the crypto world that could redefine the Bitcoin boom. We've got a special report, plus it's Ford's worst week in more than two years, but one trader says the stock is about to kick into overdrive. He'll explain why. And later, GE's nightmare isn't over, the stock sinking to a fresh six-year low today but just how low can it go the traders will weigh in but first we start off with a wild week for the market the Dow starting off the week sinking Then soaring back to close above 26000 for the first time before settling right under that key level today. It is clear volatility is back. The VIX surging 20% this week, even as the market soared and the 10-year yield hit its highest level since 2014. The S&P and Nasdaq hitting a record high. Stocks did close out their third-week gains for the year. But is volatility back for good? And is this a sign that we're starting to see some cracks in this rally?
2: You're still grooving over
3: there, John? I know. She
1: asked
2: you a question. She's I heard, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it all in. I'm going to tr- Okay. <laughs> my wedding song. As it should be. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people out there. <clears throat> Cracks in the rally. Yes. S&P closes at an all-time high today. The Russell was up all day. Tim and I were talking about that earlier. So I got to tell you, Tuesday was a huge fake out for me. I mean, that reversal, to me, signaled the potential for a short-term top. That lasted all of about eight hours. What's interesting, you know, Bob Pisani today was talking about the underperformers, and he mentioned materials. I love Bob, but I don't know what he's looking at because, quite frankly, Freeport-McMoran made a three-year high today, closed right around 20 bucks. So the things that have been working, that's Tim's trade for the last six to nine months, continues to work. And I still think materials, banks reversed today. So I think the rally still intact, despite what I thought happened on Tuesday. Rally on?
3: Well, be clear what happened this week. You obviously saw global interest rates, but U.S. 10-year yields get to that area that they've run into every time. Is this the time they break through, and at what point we can weigh is the sensitivity on the equity risk premium and where you are to start to lose assets to the fixed income market? This week, China great GDP. Uh, you had housing numbers that were fantastic. Uh, rates higher here means the world is, is doing great things. Uh, as Schlumberger told you this morning they see demand in the oil market coming. They see that market imbalance and getting tighter. Uh, copper's rallying. Uh, small caps outperforming the S and P. That's a cyclical rally based on growth. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I am troubled by complacency. I'm troubled by this almost parabolic move in markets. So I'm not going to tell you we rally forever. But there's nothing about today's price action that
4: scared me. <clears throat> Or this week's price action? Well, you know, it's interesting about this week's price action. Is you look at tech, tech's obviously the leader on the, on the scoreboard here year to date. But I'd say energy and financial is usually the recipient of tech outflows when, when earnings start to really solidify for that sec- those two sectors. Their earnings haven't been that great. We haven't seen great revenue numbers. We haven't seen great earnings numbers. So, can tech, in my opinion, continue to move higher? I think in the near term, unless we see a shift, we start to see better numbers out of financials, out of energy. I think tech will continue to lead and
5: outperform in a pretty significant way.
4: You
1: don't think that tech and financials can rally together? That they are being close to both together? I think
5: I can. I think you have to go back. You know, it's a lot for me is a lot similar to what happened in 2017. I think tech can rally. I I think financials can rally. I think industrials can rally. It's it's almost you can buy whatever you want with the exception of REITs, utilities, bond proxies, energy. Bond proxies. I think energy is gonna be a little tough sell. Right. They had a, a short term pop, but I think they're reliant on the overall crude move and I think we're range
2: bound for there. ExxonMobil, we've talked about this, talked about it back in August. You know, here's a stock that when crude was going down, it finally the stock finally stopped going down. Around 76 bucks or so. We flagged it, said, you know what, maybe the worst is over. And if you look at the rally, hasn't been ridiculous, but Exxon's gone from 76 to 88. I bring it up because the following it's still in a two and a half, three year downtrend, a significant downtrend. We had indicated maybe it gets up to 89 bucks. It got up to 88 and a quarter the other day. They report earnings on February 2nd, I believe. This, to me, is important in earnings releases Exxon as they had in quite some time in terms of what it could mean for the stock.
3: But, Guy, why mess around with Exxon when, if you have this belief that these guys could be in the right zone for their business, why not go for places that are more levered to the oil price? And and to me, that would be an Anadarko. That would be an EOG. That would be, you know big cap U.S. kind of E&P plays, um, or, to me, the oil services. And, and, and again, you've got Halliburton to report uh, next week. at slumbers eight today. Uh, everything these guys are saying means that they have lagged this move up in oil prices. So have the MLPs. They are now catching up. I would rather be there than with, with the big integrated trading valuations that don't make a lot of sense. And maybe you don't even check valuations in the energy sector, but I'd rather go places that haven't moved.
1: But in terms of the volatility move, we highlighted at the top of the show 20% for the week. Um, we saw the biggest rise in interest rates for a week in about a month. I mean, this is, these are the sorts of moves that we have become unaccustomed to. Maybe you call us, you yeah. know, uh, we have weak stomachs I, I think, now for this stuff. I think that stuff.
5: the 10-year, <laughs> I, I agree with Tim. When you start to see a synchronized global growth, mm-hmm. I, I do think that 3% is going to spook a lot of people, though. So even though I think longer term it's probably healthy, I think shorter term that can put an end to the rally.
1: Shorter term, meaning soon. In the
5: next in the next couple of months, if you see a spike go to three percent, I don't think people. Do you think are that this past week's that.
1: action was a spike? I mean, we went from about yeah. two five two or so at the beginning of the week to two six six at the end of the week. If you look at the, at the, the long week?
5: term, if you look at the ten uh-huh. year and you look on a long term trend line back to 1987, we still haven't broke out of that trend line on the way down. A uh, two seventy that breaks yeah. us out of it. So we're very
4: Actually, very higher than, than that. Close. Looking at a log chart, it's higher than that. It's like over. It's like three and change. So I, look, I don't think yields are going to get out of control here i don't i don 't worry about them impacting the equity market you 're right until we see a sustained move two three percent ish and we hold there for a period of time. I, I look at the market and say, look, there's some signs that we're going to pause here a little bit. And I look at the material names. I look at even the steel names. Next week, we've got Steel Dynamics. They're going to lead off the report. How do you are,
5: sell the market? Not to interrupt you, but how do you sell the market in the face of tax? tax I'm not uh, saying sell it. I'm no, saying hang on a second. Tax, the Taxes, though, are still not quantified. So I, even right. though people could say that they're discounted in the overall market, I don't know if they could really be discounted until we get there.
4: I just think you have to be tactical in this market. And, and I bring up technology. I bring up some of these steel names. Steel names we talk about on the show they can overshoot they tend to overshoot to the upside are they overshot now i don't think they're overshot yet i think we're going to get look next week's gonna be very interesting to heal what's here at steel dynamics says on the call what their body language is like will be a, a very telling sign if they're bullish it is off to the races for, I think, these names.
3: I think what's interesting about getting deeper into earnings season is, you know, we spent a lot of time quickly talking about the names that have the biggest impact, get the biggest impact from the tax deal. We t- tended to talk about retail names, consumer discretionary, U.S.-based companies. We're going from 38 down to 21. Wahoo, there's a lot of companies that are going to report next week, including J&J, that their effective tax rate over the last couple of years is, is been about 15%, uh, and they don't get a huge benefit. So you're going to start to shake through. S&P estimates for, for 2018 haven't really gone that much higher. They're up about 3.5% since we had this tax deal. This is really the proof in the pudding. And I think names like j who's got a healthcare business that's growing, who's got a consumer business that isn't going so well, are, are the ones you want to actually get a better sense on what the tax means to them.
1: All right. We've got a news alert here on a poll out on front, uh, Trump's first year in office. Let's get
0: to Elon Moy in DC for all the details. Elon. Melissa, that poll does come from NBC and The Wall Street Journal. And it shows that the last time Americans were this happy about the state of the economy, was during the dot-com boom. Nearly 70% of households say they are satisfied with the economy, and that is up from just 37% two years ago. The numbers are also strong among both Republicans and Democrats. The economy is the bright spot of President Trump's first year in office. One in five people point to low unemployment and record highs in the stock market as the president's biggest accomplishment so far. The new tax plan, that's also gaining in popularity. 30% 30% of the public thinks it's a good idea, up 6 percentage points in just one month with a big swing in sentiment among independents in particular. Now, the bad news for the White House is that President Trump's approval ratings are dismal. Only 39% of Americans think that he's doing a good job, and that is the lowest number in this poll's history for a president's first year in office. In addition, a majority say that they not only disagree with Trump's policies, they also just don't like him personally. Melissa, however, the person who is popular is Oprah. Her approval rating stands at 48 percent, but as you can imagine, her support is much stronger among Democrats than among Republicans. Back over to you.
1: Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in D.C. I'm not sure I'm surprised about that. 100 (laughs) (laughs) percent. Trump's
2: got this out there.
1: But the, the approval ratings in the economy are very important. Does that make you more nervous? about where we are in the stock
2: market it's or less? Well, I'll tell you what makes me nervous, and this is it's not to be political at all. President Obama's his eight-year run in the stock market was pretty good. I mean, mm, it yeah. was. if you look, I mean, he walked in in February. And employment. Right. And unemployment. I mean, unemployment's not, not significantly just, better. The only difference is President Trump chooses to talk about it, which is his right to do without question. But quite frankly, nothing's effectively changed in my world. Does it make me nervous? What makes me nervous is, again, the administration talks about the stock market being a report card for their overall administration. That's been great for a year. I, I can't believe for the next three years it's going to be unabated in the same way. Yeah.
1: Coming up, it's a moment of truth for Netflix. Streaming giant kicking off a big week of earnings. We will tell you what traders are, what traders are expecting and why they're expecting such a major move in the stock. Plus, believe it or not, it could be just the start of a wild ride for Bitcoin. We'll tell you what Wall Street is plotting that could send crypto investors into a frenzy. And later, could the White House's war on the send the pot trade up in smoke? One of the traders says the party's just getting started. He will explain why later this hour. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The SEC putting a damper on hopes that Bitcoin ETFs would soon hit the market. But that's got Wall Street looking at a potential workaround for crypto investors. Bob Pisani's got the details from the NYSE.
6: Hi, Bob. The SEC has declined to approve several ETFs recently, and now the SEC has outlined the reasons... The SEC sent a letter to two Wall Street trade groups outlining the concerns. They center on four principal issues. First is valuation. The SEC is concerned the funds may not have the information necessary to value cryptocurrencies. Second, liquidity. Funds must be able to have enough liquidity to be easily redeemable, and the SEC is not sure they will. And, this is interesting, the SEC is concerned about custody. How can these funds prove they own the bitcoins when the keys are private? How would a fund intend to validate that they really own bitcoins? It's a very interesting question. Finally, the SEC is concerned that cryptocurrencies have substantially less investor protection than traditional securities markets, and there's correspondingly greater opportunities for fraud and manipulation. And that may be the most important point. But put it all together, and while the SEC has not definitively turned down Bitcoin ETFs, they have essentially set the barrier to entry so high that the answer is effectively no. But momentum behind blockchain and cryptocurrencies is so strong that investors are already looking for ways around the SEC's objections. For example, could a fund be designed that would address the SEC's concerns? If not, is there a way around the objections? For example, would an exchange traded note, an ETN, this is a debt security issued by an underwriting bank that would track the return of Bitcoin without physically owning Bitcoin, but would be banked by the bank's assets. Would that be achievable in the US? We don't know. There's already Bitcoin ETNs in Europe, though. So we don't have the answers to these questions. I'll be at the Inside ETF conference in Florida on Monday, and you can bet that will be one of the hot topics. Back to you, Melissa.
1: I'm sure. Thanks so much, Bob Pisani at the NYSE. I mean, you can take a look at that glass half full, but you can also take a look at glass half, uh, excuse me, glass half empty, but you can also take a look at the opposite way because they're basically giving you a roadmap. They're giving ETF, people who want to issue ETFs a roadmap to getting that across the finish line, right, by, right. Uh, by outlining well, all the questions uh, and the objections. 100%. And
4: I, they're going to get there. It's only a matter of time. I think the biggest issue right now is the custody issue. I mean, that's the biggest issue because that's going to prevent the institutional buyers to come in, uh, players to come into that market in a way that's significant when they can get around that custody issue, the ETFs, ETNs get, get issued, ETFs in particular, and the institutional buyer comes into the market in a fierce way.
3: I, th- I think an ETN is is a much easier way for these guys to do it. Again, it's going to be referenced against spot prices, but it's going to be ultimately based upon the bank's credit. And mm-hmm. I would guess that with any of these underlying banks, um, you're going to be comfortable with that credit. But it's a lot more efficient for these guys to trade that than to be loading up on some of these tokens, which right now probably don't have liquidity. Which is, I think it will keep the market bank in gives check. you that?
4: Though J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon is outspoken about Bitcoin.
1: He's but he never, reeled that back. He but reeled he reeled, reeled back. that back. And so I thought no immediately way, that's because we're gearing up but, for a product.
3: We're about, I think Maybe, we're talking about right? custody banks, too. I think we're talking, you know, a U.S. Yeah. bank core. I mean, it's yeah. going to be an
5: extremely lucrative business. They're going to figure out a way around this. They're going to, to your point, they gave them a roadmap on how to do it. It's going to be extremely worthwhile and profitable. They'll figure it out.
1: In the meantime. In the meantime. Nice Square today. Yeah,
5: exactly. So Square, I play it with Square. The, remember the two constituents that were in the blockchain ETF mm-hmm. uh, were Square and uh, OSTK. So both of those had re- Reasons why they popped. That's the way I play Bitcoin right now.
2: I think the bad news for traders, in my opinion, is this rollout of an ETN or an ETF could tamper volatility. That's bad news for people that are trading this thing. Right. It's probably good news, though, for people in general that are not as fine as a volatility. For stability, maybe. For stability, maybe. Stability. Just pointing right. that out.
1: Still ahead, four shares in reverse this week, down nearly 10%. It's worst week in more than two years, but something's in the charts. That could mean that the worst is over. We will explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. But for better or worse, the crown has landed on my head.
4: But Netflix's reign might be over. One trader thinks earnings may dethrone the streaming king. He'll explain why he's so worried. Plus... You want to know why I pulled you over? Littering. (laughs) Officer, that's not ours. Littering and smoking the reefer. A crackdown on legal marijuana could be coming. Will it be a major buzzkill for pot stocks? We've got those details. Much more Fast Money after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money Time for a major buzzkill. Just when you thought the worst was over, GE took another hit, falling 3% today, 13% this week. GE started the year off right, leaving the Dow, but quickly reversed, and is now hovering around 16 bucks a share, hitting its lowest level since December of 2011. So does GE have a one-way ticket? out of the Dow. That's sort of the next question here.
3: And and what would that mean in terms of index funds, and would that be the next knock on the stock? Yeah. Um, You know, to me, ultimately, this is a case where I don't think they can be split up. I think there's too much interdependence between GE Capital and having to backstop them from all these other businesses which are cash flow positive. I don't think there's any way that they can do that. Um, You know, to me, look, this is a 60-bit position for me, Steve, and and ultimately... Still hurts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, and ultimately it's a case, though, this is how you need to invest in GE. And let's face it, I mean, most of this ride has been somebody else's problem. If I'm picking up GE here, I think a lot of bad news has been priced into this stock. There's a $145 billion company that people think is going out of business. You do think there's a single possibility
1: that they eliminate the rest of the dividend? Because that would be mm-hmm. a major leg lower. Not yeah, only would they have no more dividend, but they'd be booted out of a lot of the funds that are dividend funds. I- except for the fact right?
3: that, that staving yeah. off um, free cash flow problems by... Kicking the dividend out, I think is maybe what people are already pricing into this yeah. stock. So for you, I is it a lottery lot ticket
5: at this point, since it is such a small position? Is it something where you would think about adding? Because when I look at me, it, go ahead, you answer that. Yeah, let me explain that to you. Because to me, owning 60 bips in
3: any company can be one of a couple things. It could be a lottery ticket, or in this case, in GE. To me, this is a toehold position that allows me to watch the stock and keeps me engaged in the story. And frankly, that's not going to hurt me. And, and you know, for, for most of this run, it's been somebody else's problem, not mine. I stay
2: long. Again, okay, I want to give props to the Cowan analysts who put six months Months ago, it's true. November. They put, they put a, a yeah somewhere 11 and a half to 15 bucks, and even if it doesn't get there now, you know yeah. what? That work was good enough because I think the stock had a 20-something handle at yeah. the time. And we've said it for a long time: if GE has not been able to do well to perform in this environment as a stock. When a company like Honeywell has absolutely been crushing it, mm-hmm. then in what environment will they? So, has the stock reached levels where it's worth? Maybe, but I still think the pain in this stock is to the downside. I agree.
4: I, like, I think it's a dead money scenario. 1115 is what we put as a target on it, <laughs> given the fact that we ascribe certain debt-like aspects to, you know, the, uh, certain aspects of the company have broken up. Look, 1115, I wouldn't touch it how can here. You I, I would buy the,
3: I mean, because your analysts, uh, God bless them, but how can you do a sum of the parts <laughs> on, on these assets? I really don't even, I mean, and again, I haven't gone through the report. He's a smart guy. Um, but people the, are pricing these assets at, at basically, you know, to me, liquidation levels. And, and look what's happened in the energy market. Look what's happened in the power utility market. We've had a major recovery. You're going to tell me that GE Capital, with all of its credit obligations, isn't in a better place than these are now hang on, six months a, ago? The
5: way they priced it, I did read the report, the way they priced it is above the market cap right now. Right. So, so right now you're talking about a premium to market cap. So do you right. short this thing?
4: I don't short the stock. I mean, I, look, I, I think you can use it as a short, as an alternative short, but I'd say there's no reason to buy the stock here, people.
1: From one buzzkill to another. As legalization of marijuana expands, pot businesses are now facing another big obstacle. Didi Roy's in Oakland, California, with the details. Hi, Didi.
7: Hi there, Melissa. That's right. We are in the Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory for weed. That's the cute outfit here. And you guessed it, they make cannabis-laced chocolate. Those are coffee beans there that are Covered with marijuana laced chocolate. This factory belongs to Kiva Confections. They're a big player in that edible space within the bigger marijuana industry, and that's a space that's really exploding. This company alone plans to double or even triple its revenues because of the recreational market coming online. But despite the fact that demand is high, there are a lot of regulatory potholes before they can capture that market, uh, including the fact that we found workers having to manually relabel their products to meet regulatory requirements. They had to double their packaging staff to do it. And as a distributor, Kiva can only supply to other recreationally licensed companies. But many cities haven't even started issuing recreational licenses. So Kiva is only supplying to around 100 dispensaries versus the 1,100 normally on their roster when they're purely medicinal. Then with those regulations and new taxes, their costs are up about 45 percent, they tell me. That's resulting in their prices going up. But once those problems get sorted out, Kiva thinks they'll capture the first-time users through their lower-dose products, like these chocolate bars here. Each one of these squares deliver about 5 milligrams of THC. They say that's enough to give a little bit of a buzz, take the edge off without making people high. They're trying to go after those soccer moms and dads who work during the day and need something to go along with or even replace that glass of red wine in the evening. Back to mm. you, Melissa.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Aditi Roy in Oakland. No one rocks a red hair nut like Aditi does. <laughs> um, despite the regulation roadblock, pot socks are still on fire. So should you still keep betting on these? High-flying stocks. What do you think, Siebert? I,
4: like, I love them. I love the space. We did a cannabis dinner last week, actually. Tim, Tim uh, dinner,
1: talking about the investment <laughs> opportunities <laughs> in yeah. cannabis. Inve-
4: investment <laughs> opportunities in cannabis, and okay, the idea so of it, the idea behind it, really, and the theme was the medical side is really the place to be. TRST.CN is a company that has an amazing, amazing, you know, sort of foothold in here, and it's a quality control issue which they've got their arms around. They are probably the best in the space, and it's also the ability to have a toehold with the doctors, the doctor network that they have, and the. ability Ability to really control that as well, is soup. they've got a moat around that. So I look at a company like that and say, it's going to win long-term. When recreational comes you know, into play, it's easy it, to flip into that. It,
3: it, this is not a recreational cannabis story to me. And, and, and I'm very involved in the sector, both in the private market and, and in the public market. I've got a portfolio of stocks. And I want to say this about Jeff Sessions. This is the one thing that Jeff Sessions has done in terms of start to elicit. He's going to withdraw right. uh, the Obamacare bill. Sorry, the Obama-era uh, bill. Era mm-hmm. to, to, to legalize marijuana. This is the only thing he's done to bring Democrats and Republicans together. Democrats want it. Republicans want it. Republicans respect states' rights. This is a states' rights issue, and they're operating. The wellness and the medical side of this is where the value is. And, and, you know, to me, this is a massive global industry. It's why they get the multiples they get. This isn't just about recreation. All
1: right. Well, speaking of pot stocks, in lieu of the final trades, our traders have picked four stocks they say can take your portfolio higher Tim, kick it off.
3: So sticking in the spirit of this, I'm going (laughs) with a company in Canada called Afria, which is also medical. It's also wellness. Take a look at this one. It's a $3.5 billion company.
1: In Toronto, it trades. In Toronto. Okay. Uh, Canada
4: company as well. CanTrust. TRST.CN is the name I just mentioned. Quality, you know, company. And it's all on the medical side. Grasso.
5: Square, I went a different round on this one. I Whoa. just went with the overall thematic that the stock is going, going to move higher. higher. Okay. So Square got an upgrade, a price target from Nomura today. I believe it's at $64. Last sale, 42 ish Is that a real song, or is that our crack staff put something
2: together? I have back no idea. Say, I'm for, not well acquainted with okay. this. Uh, Come on
1: genre of music. Delta
2: Airlines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want I fly. I mean, I to fly. I have no idea what that means. Delta's ready All when right. you are, Melms.
1: That's for us here on Fast. Be back here Monday. Options Action starts right after this break.
5: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals